Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Adam Wilk from Greystone Capital Management. Adam takes concentrated positions in small companies that are generally underfollowed, misunderstood and can be too small for large funds or passive investment vehicles to own, therefore creating the potential for mispricings. He is someone I keenly follow, so it was great to have him on the podcast to talk through his investment style. Adam also talks about two companies he has invested in, which he thinks have great long-term potential. I really enjoy listening to him, and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okie dokie, on with today's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam. Hi, Adam. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot for the invite. Can you give an overview to Greystone Capital? and What is the investment philosophy and investment style? Sure. So Greystone Capital is a long-only equity-focused registered investment advisor. And the firm was founded in uh, 2019, with 2020 being the first uh, year in operation. And prior to that, uh, to back up, I'm the founder and portfolio manager. And prior to founding the firm, I was managing uh, friends and family money and working in uh, banking in addition to a stint in the sports world. Racing Capital was really founded to uh, take advantage of some of the interesting opportunities in small and micro-cap securities. As I mentioned, I have a long-only strategy, so I run a pretty plain vanilla portfolio. Uh, the portfolio is very concentrated um, as I'm trying to build a group of investments that I have high conviction on that are based on deep fundamental research and getting to know in a familiar way the businesses and the industries in which I'm investing in. I guess to combine sort of the philosophy and strategy for Greystone, um, my investment philosophy is based on a couple of core beliefs, some of which are that investing in a concentrated way is a more beneficial way to generate outperformance. The market will occasionally offer shares of businesses at a discount. Uh, that volatility is not investment risk, but it can be used by the knowledgeable investor that having a long time horizon leads to success in investing. Those beliefs are really put into practice through my strategy, which is to really search for wide mispricings um, among my universe of businesses, only deploy capital when I find them. So I will say no to most ideas in the pursuit of building a concentrated portfolio. Uh, Clients will typically own maybe seven to 12 stocks at a time. And again, those are businesses that I've that I understand on a very deep level that I've done a lot of fundamental research on and where I understand the industries. And then again, I will, for new ideas, I'll only be deploying capital when a severe mispricing exists. And what I'm trying to achieve is to generate returns in the neighborhood of 15 to 25% over a three to five year period. So on an individual stock basis, what that might look like is a stock that doubles in a period of three to five years. My favorite types of businesses to do that uh, are small and micro cap securities. uh, And again, that's kind of my favorite efficient bond. 
Okay, and and apart from looking for the the miss uh, pricing in in the value, are there any other characteristics, business characteristics that you look for? Yeah, that's a good question. There are a lot. I um, I have a pretty strict investment criteria, and along those lines, I'm trying to sort of check some boxes for for business characteristics that I like to see. Uh, some of which include recurring revenue uh, businesses. I really enjoy businesses that don't have to sort of start from zero at the beginning of each year in order to uh, generate their revenues, even though I I certainly own some of those. Um, I like businesses with operating leverage that as they grow their revenues, their margins can enhance based on efficiencies within the business. Um, I like companies that uh, generate a lot of cash flow. And again, that kind of ties into the operating leverage where as a business grows, they become more profitable. I spend a lot of time looking for uh, certain qualities of management teams, namely, I like to see uh, high insider ownership where a management team might own a large chunk of equity relative to their compensation. But then there are a lot of other characteristics that we could probably talk about, uh, spend a lot of time talking about. But really, what I'm looking for are um, businesses with some of those pro- some of those characteristics, including the recurring revenue, the chance for margin expansion, the revenue growth, the cash flow generation. And I want to kind of tie that into um, maybe having some secular tailwinds within the industry where the business has a long runway for growth, uh, something that maybe dominates a niche product or service category and serves as kind of a leader in that category. And again, a management team that I feel is aligned with uh, myself as an investor, given that I, I'm not able to own the business directly and serving as a secondary investor, we want to be sort of invested alongside uh, good people and smart capital allocators and people who uh, try to avoid doing dumb things with the money because it's made up of their own, again, with that uh, high insider ownership. So, And then if I can find all those pieces in place and there's a reasonable path to hit my return target that I mentioned before, it usually makes for a pretty good situation. And outside of that, I really want to make sure the downside is protected, uh, whether it's looking, whether it's a clean balance sheet that the business has, um, cash flows, as I mentioned, there's a really strong, or excuse me, wide disparity between how they're valued and maybe a competitor or a group of peers, um, and anything along those lines where uh, you might come to the conclusion that it could be difficult to lose money in the short term. And again, all those factors kind of put together could make for a um, a pretty interesting investment to at least research more. I, I received your um. Your most recent um, letter, uh, quarterly letter the other day, and I thought it was a great read. Uh, so many interesting companies. Can, can we uh, talk about two of those companies in your portfolio that you're quite excited about, you feel have got great long-term potential? And what was the thesis for investing? Sure, yeah. So um, I can start with um, RCI Hospitality. Uh, the ticker symbol is RIC, R-I-C-K. And full disclosure, I still own that. Um, I actually didn't provide a, a long update in the letter um, about them, but it's something I've written about in the past and a business that I'm uh, pretty bullish on moving forward. And although the stock has done really well over the last year or so, I still feel that the um, there's still a pretty credible path to me for the shares to appreciate pretty significantly over the next year or so. And I would say that from the COVID period, the business is in a much better position than they were. To, they're in a much better position today than they were, uh, maybe say March or 
April, May of last year. So at a sort of a high level, uh, RCI Hospitality is a owner and operator of gentlemen's clubs and a restaurant concept around the country. The nightclub segment is a really good business segment that uh, generates a ton of cash. And they have sort of local monopolies for the clubs because, number one, they're um, in order to build a gentleman's club, you have to receive a license from the state or municipality. And most states aren't granting new licenses for these clubs. And so RCI is kind of grandfathered into their existing locations with really no um, or very limited competition springing up. So it's kind of an interesting little moat that they have around their nightclub segment. In addition, they own all the real estate under the clubs, which um, eliminates sort of landlord risk or anything happening where they're not in control um, of the actual property. And furthermore, most of the debt of the company is tied to the uh, the real estate so they can continuously refinance it and search for lower rates and sell off assets if they need to and monetize it. So it's a very interesting setup and efficient setup. And basically the company has historically taken the cash flows generated by the clubs and reinvested them into either more club acquisitions, repurchasing shares, or their, what I, how I mentioned before, their emerging sort of restaurant sports bar concept called Bombshells, which is a military-themed sort of Hooters-style restaurant, although it's a, a bit different. They serve lunch, dinner, and, and have a bar service late into the night. Both of the segments, especially the nightclubs, have very rapid uh, payback times for new clubs and acquired ones and really phenomenal returns in terms of cash-on-cash cash yields uh, that they get when they buy a new club or when they open a new uh, Bombshells restaurant. With RCI Hospitality, uh, the basic thesis is that, uh, again, the, the nightclubs are really cash-generative um, and they have a, a strong moat around them, and then they can use the cash from generated from the clubs to, to reinvest in the business at high returns to open more restaurants at high returns or to repurchase shares at high returns. And they have a CEO in place. His name is Eric Langan, who has been operating the business for over 30 years. This is his life's work. He bought his first nightclub after selling his baseball card collection for like $40,000 or something and uh, slowly built up the business from there. And I would say that <clears throat> at this stage right now, they're really at an interesting point in their history because not only is the business chugging along and the management team has really not only learned from past mistakes, but is really focused on growing per share value and free cash flow per share moving forward. But a lot of their competitors and people within the industry were really decimated during the whole COVID period, which they navigate, RCI navigated beautifully and survived and came out thriving from the whole pandemic, which, you know, on some level, they're still kind of dealing with. The industry, from what I understand, has really changed because. A lot of these, um, the, the industry I can take a step back is made up of mostly mom and pop nightclub operators and nobody with the scale or the buying power or the capital that RCI has. And so when they go to make one of these acquisitions of another club, they can really serve as the preferred buyer of choice because they can offer seller financing. There's a number of other factors that make it very easy for them to kind of roll up another club that into their own, um, uh, into their operations and continue to collect the cash that it generates. And so now with sort of the industry landscape changing because of COVID, I would think that they have a real opportunity to step up and start buying uh, really good assets around the country, maybe using stock as currency or, or cash and uh, 
and again, generating those high cash on cash returns, which would further increase the free cash flow per share and the per share value, which would probably cause the stock to uh, rise even more, which would result in good returns, but would also lower their cost of capital and enable them to use equity to continue to make acquisitions and open new bond shells restaurants. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I, although the stock is up a lot, I think there's still a, that's sort of a high level summary, but I think there's still a pretty credible path to the shares being worth a lot more moving forward, especially as the business grows and, you know, they start, they continue to execute on their capital allocation plan and the market continues to take notice. So I think it should work out pretty well um, over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. And how about your, your second um, uh, stock to talk about? You mentioned um, my letter. So um, I entered into a sort of mid-sized position in Playboy Enterprises during the quarter, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with, which was uh, originally Playboy went public via SPAC and a special purpose acquisition corp. And um, the deal to take them public was consummated in February. And the group that took them public rolled over most of their equity into the new Playboy and the shares now trade under the ticker symbol PLBY. This is a really interesting situation because the from where I was sitting, the post deal price for Playboy was very cheap relative to what I believe the brand value is and what I think the business can accomplish. It kind of made for an interesting opportunity because I felt like not only were investors not really paying attention, but there was a bit of a historical overhang on the stock where people can only associate the brand with the magazine and the publishing business, which is very, which is very far from these days. And in fact, the publishing business no longer exists. Uh, the magazine was founded in the company was founded in the fifties by Hugh Hefner, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with. I, I probably don't need to get in too much into the history, but um, like I mentioned, it's definitely not the same business that existed in the past. The, the publishing arm and the media arm no longer exists. And the company today operates uh, consumer product categories in really large markets, and there's no clear leader in those markets. And they also have a licensing business that brings in that has licensing revenue, cash flow, excuse me, of, uh, yeah, revenue of 400 million that's contracted through about through over the next eight years or so. Right now, they're focusing on growing that direct to consumer segment, and they want to drive new customer growth. And they want to do so by leveraging their social media followers and um, and doing some bolt-on acquisitions and changing up the, the licensing deal structure, which should hopefully lead to the growth in revenues, margin expansion, and then free cash flow generation. And leading the, the charge here is a group of really talented managers, one of which who has been involved with the brand and the company for uh, over a decade uh, and worked with a private equity group. Before, before taking the company public today, uh, he worked with a private equity, equity group to take them private back in 2011. And the basic thesis is, you know, I mentioned the business, they're trying to grow their direct-to-consumer offering, which should hopefully have the benefit of taking some of these licensing deals and bringing them more in-house so that they can collect more than pennies on the dollar in terms of a take rate for all the licensing revenue they generate. And Playboy is... Most people don't, I guess most people um, wouldn't know this, but they actually generate an incredible amount of licensing revenue overseas. They're, they're huge in China 
and they do something like three billion in annual licensing revenue globally. And again, the idea is to take some of that and to bring it in house and to kind of take back ownership of the brand so that they can capture a little bit more upside of some of these deals. And the thesis with Playboy was, in addition to the cheap deal price and sort of the mispricing there, was that this is a business uh, that is now sort of freed from the historical shackles that it was played that was that were placed on it with the old chairman and his family and some of the other people involved where they wanted to keep the magazine alive and the publishing business, which was just sucking cash from the company and there wasn't money to invest in marketing or to reinvest back in the business or hire return initiatives. And now that that's done, you have this new management team in place that has been involved with the brand for over a decade that's ready to monetize it and that's kind of chomping at the bit to uh, take the cash flows that the licensing arm generates, among other things, and reinvest them back into higher value initiatives. And so they have a lot of cat going public, provided them a lot of cash to do that. They're no longer tied to the publishing arm and they have the resources and willingness to sort of deploy that capital into things like M&A and marketing and things like that. So, you know, you can, I mentioned in my letter too, you can kind of look at case studies for building a brand and leveraging social media following to do that in addition to value, the value of some legacy, you know, iconic people and, and licensing arms. And Playboy is right up there with them in terms of having a really strong archive of intellectual property. They bring a lot to the table in terms of being able to monetize their brand, which is one of the most recognizable brands in the world. So looking at the initial deal value uh, just seemed kind of silly. And uh, we were able to buy shares at um, a little bit above the uh, post stack deal price. And it's worked out well. Obviously, the stock has gone a little bit crazy. But I would say that um, even adjusting your numbers a bit and evaluation, you know, there are a lot of paths to do really well here as the management team does their thing and they continue to monetize the brand. And I would say over the next three to five years, the company could look very, very different than it does today. And there's a good opportunity for uh, decent returns moving forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story. What Just briefly, what are your thoughts on the valuation of Exit? As you say, it has gone up. Uh, quite a lot in a short space of time. Yeah, very good question. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's, well, number one, it's a hard business to value because it's hard to put a value on a brand like that. You know, traditionally, if you want to, you can use uh, sort of some of the traditional metrics and uh, I guess EBITDA is the, the metric that the company's using. And when I first came across the business, they were very cheap, something like 12 times next year's EBITDA or something along those lines. That was growing pretty fast. Uh, but today, that's changed a lot, obviously, with the stock over 50 or something. I think the market has definitely pulled forward a few years' worth of returns, and the expectations are a lot higher now, so it is, it's a little bit different. But management put out this interesting 2025 guidance to, to try to hit $400 million in revenues. Uh, I'm sorry, to try to hit $300 million in revenues and around $100 million in adjusted EBITDA, um, which would put the valuation at you know somewhere around... 20 times or so today. I would say that that guidance ends up looking pretty conservative. And I think I could see them finishing 2025 with, with well over 400 million in revenues. And if they can hit their adjusted EBITDA margin target of, I believe, 30%, you know, they'd be generating somewhere around 120 million in adjusted EBITDA, which would obviously make the valuation more attractive. But I definitely think now <clears throat> expectations are higher and it's a little bit more of a, sort of show me story uh, for the market. But 
they seem to like what is taking place um, and what the management team is saying. So we'll have to see how they can kind of grow into their valuation. Okay. Thanks, Adam, for sharing those two uh, stocks. So where can listeners go to find out more about uh, you and Greystone Capital? So there's a couple of places. You can visit our website at uh, www.graystonevalue.com. Greystone is spelled G-R-E-Y. Uh, I have a blog where I post research and investment ideas. That's uh, poundtherockinvesting.wordpress.com. And then uh, I'm on Twitter. at My handle is at A-K-Wilk, W-I-L-K. And I also have a uh, firm-specific hand, uh, Twitter, which is Greystone Capital or Greystone Cap. Uh, again, Greystone spelled G-R-E-Y, but listeners of yours are more than welcome to reach out, uh, you know, send me a message. I love to talk stocks, ideas, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I can be found at all those places. Okay, Adam, that's great. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure to listen to you. You uncover so many uh, interesting little uh, stocks out there that uh, maybe hopefully we can get you back on in the future to discuss some more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for the kind words and for the invite.